Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Absolutely love and hate Andrew Tate at the same time. I agree with a lot of core things that he says. What was your first car? A Porsche Cayman GTS. I made an overtake on a blind hill and as I come to the top of the brow, someone come over the other way. I was going very quickly. My dad was actually following me behind in his car and gave me the most almighty bollocking I've ever had in my entire life. I loved my dad. I had a fantastic relationship with him. How did you deal with your dad's death? Because it was quite sudden, wasn't it? Yeah, he passed away from a heart attack, which weirdly I knew was coming. And that 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 really, that that really screwed me up. That I just I just didn't trust anybody whatsoever, other than my then missus um, mother. Do you think you're going to be more mindful of your partner in the future and be more facilitating in order to meet their needs? No, not at all. That is interesting because relationships are all about compromise at the end of the day. Yeah, no, not anymore. How come? My point is. Hello, Ben. Hello, Sean. Welcome to my podcast. It's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, first of all, can you give me a little intro? Because it's a bit hard talking about yourself when um, I don't actually know what I do. So if you could, you know, just do a bit to camera, just to describe who I am, what I do, and how do we know each other? So Sean is my lead video editor and strategist for this podcast. Um, She has been working with me for around the last four months, probably known Sean for about six months. And we met literally through a mutual follower, I believe it was, on Instagram, got messaging, realized that we were quite funny and friendly. And I started to understand what Sean did. And after that, got her involved in the podcast and she's now firmly running pretty much everything. I just turn up, usually sit that side of the mic and talk to guests about their stories. From your first podcast episode that you did, you did like a little intro to yourself. You did all of your story and all of that. So if anyone wants to find out about, you know, 
Ben's past, um, go and watch that episode because we're not going to be covering sort of Ben's journey in this episode. It's going to be more the questions that everyone wants to ask, but obviously doesn't. <laughs> um, so in, in true Ben style, first of all, Ben, uh, who are you? And in your own words, describe what you do. I would say that I have become a serial entrepreneur because I run various companies that I'm trying to grow. I think I've achieved that through sheer determination and grit combined with an app. Definitely a degree of luck and positioning. I work more hours than I probably should do. I chase every single rabbit in the field without focusing on one. And I'd say that that causes me to have a life where I wake up in the morning and don't really know what the day will entail. Do you like that uncertainty? Yes, love it. You do. Because there's obviously a strong argument with routine and how routine sort of forms us as humans and predictability is what we sort of like really base our lives around. Um, So in terms of like your daily routine, how does your day look? You know, what time do you wake up? What do you usually have for breakfast, Ben? I don't have any routine for any part of my life at all. Uh, I don't decide whether I'm having breakfast or not. Some mornings I do, some mornings I don't. I'd say that everything is centered around what is going on with work. That comes first before any form of routine. I don't have a set bedtime. I don't even like to plan and put things in my diary too much. Uh, because of the chance of things changing and being able to do something a little bit better, a little bit different. I I have no routine whatsoever. Does that not affect you though? Does it not bring you any sort of anxiety of not knowing what you're doing today, what you're doing tomorrow, what even you, your life could look like in a year's time? No, I kind of have a huge running list in my brain of things that I know that I need to do, things that I want to do. Occasionally, I write things down on paper that I'll lose, but I do that to try and reinforce things that I have to do or things that I have to achieve in the week. And I definitely start to feel when I haven't done something or I know a deadline or point of which I need to deliver something is coming up, then I just kind of feel through all my veins a little bit more stressed. And I actually use this quite a lot. I know when I am stressed because my watch no longer fits on my wrist. And it's really weird, but I've got quite a tight fitting watch. And when it doesn't, when I'm stressed, that watch doesn't go on. And usually that means that I have something that I haven't done or I've run over all the rest of it. But I, there is always so much to do that I tend to get up and think, how am I, how, how am I feeling today? That's usually determined by what happened the day before. Uh, what have I, what should I do today? You know, what, what's, what's pressing? Is it the fact that I haven't, recorded a podcast episode? Do I need to get in touch with loads of guests and sort that out? Or if I've got all that sorted and I've got four pre-recorded and I'm done for the week, what's going on on my fishery bill? But that only happens for a certain amount of time. Do I need to do something with a property that's going through? What's in my emails? And then kind of the day just like builds out from there, I guess. So you mentioned about your watch and obviously um, I'm assuming that's down to probably blood flow and 
fluctuating um, levels of cortisol and all of that. Um, we talk a lot about like burnout in today's society around, you know, people working unsustainable hours and then trying to balance having a life versus work but it just literally looks like you live and breathe work which I don't think is a bad thing because if you enjoy it and you're you're finding pleasure and happiness within that and it's fulfilling you that isn't a bad thing um in terms of burnout have you ever been close to or ever experienced burnout yes but it wasn't for work it was for the sale of a company and I'd say that that was more mental fatigue and emotional roller coaster rather than burnout necessarily. I think it was a fact that you can have a thousand individual things and it's because of the sheer volume of things that causes someone to burn out or you can have three individual things. However, those three individual things are so bulky and stressful and weighted or important that those things would cause you to potentially tip over the edge. I don't think it's a case of quantity. How did you get past that that phase of burnout? Because I've I've spoken to so many people that have, have been like different industries from like biotech to marketing to, you know, so many different people. And they said that on average it it, it took them well over 12 months to sort of get back to some sort of normality. And I know a lot of people are like, right, I'm burnt out. I go on holiday for a week and then you come back refreshed or whatever. But it, in actual fact, that isn't the case. And because obviously with, with burnout, there's fluctuating levels of cortisol, which is the stress hormone within the body. Like it can take a long time. Um, so how long... Did it take for you to sort of recover from that or have you recovered from it yet? I've definitely recovered from it. I would say probably a year after the sale of that business went through, it took me to actually enjoy life again. Um, so you didn't enjoy life? Not after that business sale went through, no. Awful. So the idea that money buys happiness is completely false? No, not at all. Not at all, because I've had plenty of moments smiling in my Lamborghini. So, I mean, I've had plenty of moments smiling in my Lamborghini as I, well. So, so that, that statement is, is crazy. I think that with... I don't believe that money buys happiness, but I also think you could quite easily say money creates different stresses that aren't usually felt. Um, through things like a company sale. I think the only thing that if you have never experienced a company sale, that judging by what people say and judging by watching how people react, I put it probably similar to trying to sell a property in a chain and move into another house and trying to get everything to line up and then things don't happen and suddenly someone changes their mind. That's probably the most similar thing in the real world to a company sale. And it's 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 challenging. But my my escape from the sale of that company, my, after I was burnt out, but my, I actually just went and started another company. And I actually think it was really weird. I knew that wasn't what I was going to be doing for the future. I I knew it wasn't because it was in gaming. I'm not really interested in gaming. It involved a lot of eBay. I don't really like eBay, but I had to just go and do something. And the easiest thing to do to take my mind off 
the enormity of 18 months of dealing with um, a company that I own being acquired and sorting out things like debt and director's loans and all the rest of it and clearing all of that off was to basically buy and sell stuff on eBay, which turned into a little gaming business that then a few months later, I soon realized A, I wasn't passionate about and B, wasn't really making any money. But I'd actually say that was probably my way of just escaping from everything that had gone on to just focus on buying and selling stuff, really. Now, as you said that, you know, Pavestone and um, my, what what was the um, e-commerce? My Game Indirect. The other one with the slabs. Oh, Paving Direct. Paving Direct. <laughs> I do take a massive interest in your life, obviously. Um, for you to go into an industry that technically you don't have a particular uh, interest in, i.e. gaming, like, did you see um, a gap in the market or did you just go, right, I want to just build something right now? No, the, the reason I did that um, was actually because I was going through the sale, the last final part of the sale of Pavestone. I wasn't really allowed in the company slash didn't want to be there right at the end. Um, I just absolutely had enough and I couldn't face when you're going through a sale of a company, you're, you're legally not allowed to tell any of the employees what's going on. Oh, really? Um, you're, you're legally not allowed to discuss anything. You're under a non-disclosure agreement before that deal goes through to make that deal go through. So basically if you, if you spill the beans, you lose your entire business sale money or it's, it's, it's that simple. Right. So I couldn't in the last couple of months face going in and seeing someone that I would class, you know, I'd known for over 10 years of my life and looking them in the eyes and saying, no, 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 I'm not selling. When oh. everybody could figure out there was, couldn't do it in the end. But then I also can't sit still. So what I did was I just had to release my, uh, my brain and get away. And I just bought a load of racking, stuck it in the garages at home. And while I was dealing with the occasional email every other day and thinking about the acquisition, I would release by going on an auction site, buying a load of stuff. I just happened to find one that sold loads of gaming stuff um, and that sold really quick on eBay. And I used to just fill the racks in my garage and basically buy and sell gaming equipment on eBay as a method of getting away from the stress of that business sale. Yeah. Um, so you said that you weren't passionate about gaming. Um, and obviously, like, I've previously done things that I'm not passionate about. Um, and you soon identify the fact that you're just not passionate about it. Because sometimes, you know, you you can invest your time so much, but not actually reap the reward of profit. Um, and obviously, if you're passionate about it, that sort of drives you through it. So what what was the best selling product with my gaming direct? Uh, either controllers or Thrustmaster Ferrari four five eight steering wheels. Weirdly, okay. So the, those were used for like racing games and that. I'm assuming. Yeah, we used to buy and sell um, basically returned stock from Amazon uh, as open, never used, and stuff like that on eBay. Well, I mean, literally from from a garage and then into a small unit that I already had in Farringdon, an existing lease that was finishing on that from the paving company. So just moved in there for a bit, for a bit of extra space. And we used to then go, we went into manufacturing and making custom controllers and I hired someone to help do it. And to be fair, it was going really well. The The only issue was with, was it, with it was the fact that, I had no experience. I had no experience in gaming. I couldn't be bothered to look research the industry. I didn't really like it. I didn't 
phase me who was in Germany playing play Warzone or whatever. I just didn't live and breathe it. And I think there was a slight arrogance there because I was coming off the back of Paving Direct essentially being a huge success. We'd had myself and uh, Brad, who I always refer to as a run Paving Direct, um, with Brad Greening, who was, you know, basically the managing director in there on a day to day business or the general manager along with me. And he made a load of the cogs turn. I think there was definitely a degree of, because it had gone so well, that online store, uh, you know, in our final year, we, we were, we were really, really big. We were selling more paving slabs than anybody else online. Um, and I definitely think there was a degree of, oh, if I just do another online store and it's exactly the same method and philosophy, that'll fly. <clears throat> and it didn't. Not passionate. Don't know anything about the product didn't know why things were being returned, whether they're breaking. And there was just a point. I'll say this wasn't a huge part of my life. This was only six months or so. Um, where I was just like, well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Sold up. Now got this golden pot, basically, um, which I could suppose you could say you can treat. I definitely treat like a bank, like going to a bank. Yeah. And I, I can do more with it than fannying around buying and selling gaming products on eBay. So then kind of life um, evolved and I decided to just, right, I've had enough now. I've got to stop. So, you know, take the racking down, get out of the unit. Sorry, guys, this this isn't what I wanted to do. This was kind of my release for six, six months and I, I've now got to completely build an entirely new life where I'm not allowed to touch a paving slab or anything I've known for 10 years. Well, that, that sounds like you've um, <clears throat> almost been in trouble um, with a paving slab that you're not allowed to touch it. You're on some sort of register. Um, <laughs> but uh, my gaming direct, um, obviously, in terms of you shutting down that business, uh, did you did you actually make a profit? Um, no. How much did you lose? Ten grand. Ten grand. Okay. So for set, to be honest, six months and losing ten grand, I don't think that's bad at all. To be honest, that ten grand was my release. Yeah. It was just, and going back to the point that I made before, the fact that you, you like, I don't have a routine. It's almost like. I did then. Yeah. You were stripped of your non-routine routine at Pavestone. And then you almost craved having a routine of business, you know, running the day-to-day business is part of your routine. So technically you do have a routine. It's just not conventional. I guess I could look at it that way. And, and back when Gaming Direct was around, um, even towards the end of Pavestone Paving Direct, I had a more tra- traditional life, I guess. I was engaged, had a fiancé, two dogs, living in a house. And with that, having another half comes you know, doing all the other half things, like trying to help out around the house, trying to go to things together, there's everything that comes into it, which then builds a routine. Um, it, it would, it would, it annoys probably many partners out there if, if, if they've got a routine and yet their other half doesn't, doesn't at all. Some mornings will get up and bugger off at 5 a.m., other mornings might lay in till nine just yeah. because at a late night or whatever. So, lay in till nine, that's, that's an early morning for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you work till 3 a.m., <laughs> usually on this podcast, but. Yeah. So do you think that um, obviously from being a natural entrepreneur and having a partner, 
do you think you're gonna basically change the way that you you are in a relationship in order to be more mindful for your for your partner because obviously now you're single hit him up ladies um or, or gents <laughs> no judging here <laughs> um you had to get that in didn't you? yeah i did have to get that in um yeah do you think do you think you're almost going to be more mindful of your partner in the future um and be more facilitating in order for to to meet their needs um no not at all that's interesting that is interesting because co- relationships are all about compromise at the end of the day yeah no not anymore not anymore no how come been there done it seen two sides of life i want that at this current stage, things change. I'm I'm not one of these um, people that don't think that things change. Just because I said something a year ago doesn't mean that I, I'll happily go back and go, Christ, what the hell did I say on that podcast then? That was that's not what I think now anymore. Like my my I I, I don't always take everything with a pinch of salt. Basically, it's just how you kind of feel in the moment or at a specific time of your life, and no, no doubt certain things happen that change. Just a, a small example of that is I absolutely hated dogs, hated dogs up to the age of about 16, 17. My dad was bit when he was, um, I think a bit later in life by a few Jack Russells and they attacked his calf. And I I had an experience with a mate's dog I really didn't like. And I I just despised them. When I went to people's house, I was away from it. I don't like it. I know people are probably cringing at this. I then, something changed and I ended up having a couple of little dogs. I've now got one dog. And I can now not see myself without dogs for the rest of my life. And I, I love other people's and I've, my mindset has totally changed. If I just say that at the minute I'm in a mindset where for me being in a relationship in terms of business moving forward, I think holds me back. That might be different for other people, but that most definitely with what I need to achieve in the next three years would hold me, hold me back if I was in what I was in before, but being completely fair that I think if I wasn't in a relationship at the period that I sold Pavestone, I don't think that deal would have happened. You said a word that really stuck out to me then um, when you you were talking about um, the position that you need to be in in three years' time. Why is it a need rather than a want? Because right now your situation is is probably, you know, a lot of people's dream. And I know you're ambitious and, and all of that, but why do you need to be there in three years' time rather than you want to be there in three years' time? Probably to prove to myself that I can do things all on my own. In Paving Direct, we had a sister company, which was, Pavestone. Pavestone was my father's business. Paving Direct was my business. Without my father's business, we'd have had no product to sell on Paving Direct. Without my father's business, we'd have had no money to start Paving Direct. Without my father's business, I wouldn't have had any direction, learning and understanding to, you know, put Paving Direct in the right direction or make me who I am to be able to go and do it. I'm now in a situation where I have no father anymore. And so totally out on your own with your own money on your own nobody around me I've not got a fiance anymore so so 
I say that I need to be there probably is to prove to myself for life that I am capable of doing what I set out to do without anybody being able to say that you only got that because of X, Y, and Z. Okay. So you've probably heard that line so many times that, you know, and I know that you do recognize your privilege as well. Like, to be honest, even I recognize my privilege, the fact that, you know, I was still able to be fed every night and all of that growing up. And I went to reasonably good school, got a good education. Um, and yeah, like the, there are people that have it a lot worse. Uh, so it's good that you recognize that, uh, but also the ambition behind it as well. Moving into those like three years where you were like, need to, what does the next three years look like? You know, you've started a digital agency, Fowler Digital. Um, nice third web hoodie. You sound a bit bitter about that. I can get you on if you want. <laughs> um, why did you start a digital agency? Because you, you talked about... Um, gaming direct and going into it without any experience mm -hmm. and that was almost like a passion killer um why did you start a digital agency despite not having technically agency experience um i wouldn't say that i didn't have technically agency experience i the reason i started a digital agency is a because i'm interested in it b because i can do it uh, and see, I see a future for it in our current environment. And when I was, I think I built and I was always fiddling with websites. I cannot quite remember the first one that I actually built and did. But I remember the first one that meant something. Was when I was 14, I set up based off the previous guest of the podcast, Christian, who works for BOTB competitions they were the first competitions company and i set up what was definitely the first online store for fishing competitions out there and i realized that i couldn't code i didn't know how to build a game of skill into it but i wanted to learn i did learn and i then kept fiddling with websites for years and years after that um, i actually gave away the fishing competitions business to a sponsor years and years ago and then they went under and that was the end of that but you gave it away. You didn't sell it. No, because basically it, there wasn't much to sell. It was just a website. I know, but you had the infrastructure there in order for them to It wasn't coded right. I was 14. It's fine. I've learned more okay. from doing that than, than whatever. What was but it coded in? It wasn't. It was built in GoDaddy. Wait, GoDaddy, you can actually build websites? Yeah. I thought they were just domain. This was pre, no, this was pre-Shopify. So Shopify launched in 2012. No one knew what it was. GoDaddy was a bigger brand than Shopify. So that's why I used to fiddle around and make stores with. And I, I then always was tinkering and building online stores just for pure fun and trying to figure them out. And then Shopify came out and I think I, I built something for car cleaning products and accessories that I had in the garage. And it just kind of went from there. I was always finding myself building an online store. And then I always started to fiddle and build them for work as well, even though that they weren't really going anywhere or launching or whatever. And then eventually I said, I really want to build an online store for the family business, which is paving slabs. I see a gap in the market that there's only a couple of real kind of rubbish online paving stores out there, really. And if you looked at different markets like plumbing and ele electrics, there was some like Victorian plumbing was a brilliant example of a site in a trade and they did it really well. I thought, well, if we could just build that for paving slabs, then voila. 
And that was a combination between myself and Brad actually building a lot of that website. Did you build that on Shopify? No, it was on Magento. Oh, you um, built it on Magento. Yeah, and the reason we built it on Magento, and again, this was part of the learning curve for a digital agency, was because at the time, Shopify wasn't very customizable and it didn't allow a lot of code. And we wanted things like meter square calculators for paving slabs and all those things. So we decided to build the site Magento. We didn't have a lot of experience. So we actually partnered with an agency, um, and which allowed me to have a lot of time within an agency and at an agency to to build yeah. to build that site together, essentially. And that was a huge learning curve. And then as the business grew, we worked with digital marketing providers, PPC specialists before outgrowing that and then trying to bring in those roles in-house to people. So that was where I built up my basically skill set of websites and managing people. And so it made sense that when I actually thought about, you know, where where's one thing that I want to go off in after selling the business? I understand websites. I'm not saying I understand it better than a UX designer understands their part of it or understands it better than an SEO specialist understands their part of it. But I certainly know what is required and who to put where to be able to deliver something proper. And that is why I essentially decided to do that and think that I have the experience. Now, so far it's been it's been pretty good and we've done some pretty yeah. cool site builds and have a lot of work stacked up. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Magento there. And um, I remember when I worked in the agency, we had um, one of the clients was Snap-on Tools um, and their website was was built on Magento. And all I remember was like basically looking around in the office and just seeing the developers almost like swearing and crying over the fact that Magento was just so hard to code. And broke all the time as well. Yeah. Um, and there was constant issues with it. And I mean, now, uh, when you left um, Paving Direct, was it still built on Magento or did you move across to Shopify? Yeah, no, it still is now. Oh, really? It still is now. In, in fact, as my, as my business grows, I would absolutely love to take, I think it would be almost, what's the word, romantic, to take on the rebuild of that site in Shopify yeah, would be quite possible. a cool thing to do. So yeah, mm. get that across into Shopify. I mean, I love the, the infrastructure of Shopify and how you can, that like, it's just so easy to use and you don't necessarily have to be a coder or whatever in order to do it. We've just had a little bit of a, a mini break. Um, we're going to go into the juicy stuff now and we're going to talk cars. Um, because you do talk cars quite a lot, but you never talk about the specifics of your cars. Um, so my first question is, what was your first car? A Porsche Cayman GTS. <sighs> Technically, my first vehicle was a VW Caddy Van 1.2. Technically, and that's what I drove to work every day in the office and all the rest of it. If you're going to be really specific, my first car was a Cayman GTS. I can just hear everyone in the comments, guys. And Pacific, because I say it all the time, just like Specific. I say mirror or whatever, but mirror. I couldn't care less. Um, so you had a VW Caddy. Yes. So when you passed your test, you just went straight into a Caddy. Yeah. Yes, because I used to love fishing as well, and that was perfect. Was that the Caddy that stunk a fish? Yeah. Oh, nice. And exploded like four times. So you had a Caddy. How long did you have the caddy for before you got the Cayman? The longest vehicle I've ever owned that was up till last year when it totally and utterly exploded for the last time was going to cost more than the vehicle 
was to fix, um, worth to fix basically. And I actually gave it away basically for a little bit of cash to someone on a prize Norton, uh, RAF base to use as a bedroom during the time they stayed there so that they could save on room rent basically. So he bought it as a hotel a room. she caddy. Yeah. <coughs> oh, what a guy. Yep. What like 700 guy. quid cash for that. Wow. How did you get it though? If the engine had blown up. Kind of towed it. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's cool. Um, so you came in, when did you buy that? 16 before I actually started driving. I didn't buy it. My dad bought it. I think he did. I think he did as well because he, and I'm glad he did because we used to go on a lot of car stuff together in his car and uh, he, he bought it. And actually I used to go to car events where dad would go. Sometimes mum would be in with him and I'd get one of my older mates in fishing, just pop them on the insurance and oh, they'd right. drive my car and we, we'd go to an event or something like that or Whatever. So were you with your driving test? Because obviously you had a car before you'd actually passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the illegal age in the UK to get a UK uh, car's driver's license is 17. Um, how, like, how long after your 17th birthday did you pass your test? Oh, it was a little while, actually, despite trying, because I failed twice. You failed so, twice, so I you passed t- on the third time. Yeah, yeah. This is a guy that has, like... Yeah. How many supercars now? Two? I don't know. Three? Uh, how many? I, I don't even I know. I think it's four at the minute. Four, you think. Uh, <laughs> but they, they, I, I definitely passed third time and I passed my theory second time. Okay. So what I, I always really like in um, having the conversations when it comes to driving tests, because I passed on my second time. Um, first time. I failed because of lane discipline. That's what I, I failed on. Okay. Yeah. Um, I also got a minor for going too slow in a car park. Wouldn't have had that problem. <laughs> um, so what What did you fail on the first? Um, uh, I can't really remember. One was lane. I generally can't remember. One was lane changing. Uh, one was... Not too many mi- minors. I don't really know. I, <laughs> my, do you know what? I can't quite remember if it was actually third time or second time I passed. I ge- genuinely can't remember. Okay. And then because it went on, what I do remember was it went on from there. So I had to do a week's long course, which was called a Rosper Institute of Advanced Motorists course, which I got a silver in. Uh, and that was to be able to give to the insurers so that I could be insured on the Porsche for a reasonable amount of money alongside that I had performance car on-road driver training. So that's why well. your insurance is so cheap, because I'm literally wondering mm. how it's so cheap. So is that like the Pass Plus, or is it a completely different No, 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 it's completely thing? different. Pass Plus is totally different. Rossborough is an institute in the UK of advanced motorists. And basically all that means is for a week, someone told, tells you to look somewhere where your brain isn't trained to look. And they, they just teach you to look at the limit points on the okay. road. Uh, they teach you to smell a lot with the windows down, like look for fresh, freshly cut grass on a verge. It might mean that there's something around the corner as you go there, hanging over into the road, hover the brake pedal when you smell that and have that relationship. Oh, really? so you just sit in the car for a week and go everywhere and basically get moaned at a lot by a very old, annoying man and get told that your van that you do it in can only legally do 50 in 60s. And stuff like oh, that. Oh, really? So it done my head in for a week, but it gave me what I needed to be able to drive my Porsche for a reasonable amount 
uh, of money insurance wise on the road. Oh, that's interesting. And I actually do believe that saved me one or two crashes when I was 18 doing that course by looking in the right place, hitting the brakes at the right time. And I like to think, touch word, in the seven, eight years I've now been driving now, not really much apart from a couple of wipeouts with deer and stuff like that. When people pass the test, um, I always say that, you know, you they teach you enough to be able to drive on the roads, but you don't actually know how to drive when you pass your test. And you'll say that to a lot of like people that have just passed and like, yeah, but I've had, you know, 30 hours of training, blah, blah. But I'd say within the first year of driving, that's like when you truly know and mm. learn how to drive because of different weather conditions. Um, you know, many people do their driving test, but it's only like they've only learned at one time of the year. So like driving in snow is completely different to, you know, driving uh, on normal dry roads in summer. Um, and you're not taught that. Um, you're also not taught um, when you have a bump or whatever in a car, um, you're not taught what to do. They didn't tell you to get like like, like registration name, whatever. Like you just don't know what to do. I, well, I haven't had a bump like that, Sean, so I wouldn't know. Well, it wasn't my fault. Someone went into the back of me, you know, because I actually had a job in a city where I had to, you know, drive in. Oh, okay, fair. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a proper job where I had to rock up at half eight every morning and not whenever I wanted. Um, so what do you think currently uh, in the UK licensing, because obviously it's different in everywhere in the world, what's missing from the current testing? Oh, I don't know. I don't think there is much missing, to be honest. I think it's not actually too bad. And uh, what, I, what I think is missing is a lack of understanding of the people that want to do more, how they could do more. But, you know, enough people can't afford to do the test and lessons as it currently is and then pay for insurance stuff. Adding more stuff on top of that, you wouldn't be able to get people to work. So, but, and I also think, you know, you can, you, you can take a horse to water, but it's got to learn how to drink. and. I, I tend to find, to find that I had a lot of moments in my first year, despite having a Vosper Institute of Advanced Motorists course, that made me go, oh, shit, that was fucking close. Like, and I, I do remember one particular moment in that Cayman where ha, I, I should have died. And that was the was biggest that, wake up on the road I've ever had. Was that your fault oh, or yeah, somebody fully. else's? Oh, totally my fault. Okay. I made an overtake on a blind hill. On a, oh. on a supercar um, morning out on a drive and I just got way too happy and excited and just followed somebody ah. rather than making my own decision. And as I come to the top of the brow, someone come over the other way. I was going very quickly. And I how I cut back in and my dad was actually following me behind in his car and gave me the most almighty bollocking I've ever had in my entire life that day. And to be fair, I it's crazy because I've done a lot of miles in cars. I figured yeah. it. I figured it out a little while ago. I think I've done over a quarter of a million miles already on the road since I passed my test. And it, it, it could have been more than that. And that is the one moment that does stick out for me the most was, was that just like seeing that car coming towards and thinking, wow, the hell did I get away with that? So Ben, what is your favourite car that you have, ever owned a 458 spider 
that was my dad's car, but transferred to me upon his death. And I never wanted to sell that car and had full intentions of keeping it because of the, you know, mm-hmm. sentimental value of it, which I know a lot of people get, but I had to sell that car because I needed the money to be able to enable me to have a little bit more legal advice. And when I was going through the sale of my business, so I had to sell that car. If it, if that car came back up for sale for a reasonable amount of money, I would sell my current 458 for it. Okay. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, definitely that. Oh. Um, so what, did your dad buy that one brand new? No, it was a 2013 458 Spider, Rossa Corsa, Crema interior, silver wheels, yellow brake calipers, perfect spec. And he always wanted a Ferrari and he finally managed to get a Ferrari at the age of 58. So mm-hmm. bless him. It was a huge, it was a huge moment when we went and picked that up and I drove it and I went in it with him multiple times. And I remember him even FaceTiming me occasionally when he was out in it, just laughing at the fact that he was in this car. And it was a moment of for him, like, wow, I can't believe I've got this. This is my Ferrari. I just can't believe it. It was so cool. So cool to say. So you said that he, you uh, were transferred ownership when your dad died. Mm-hmm. Um and the thing that sort of brought us two together was obviously the mutual um, thing of having, you know, dads that aren't no longer with us. Um, how did you deal with your dad's death? Because it was quite sudden, wasn't it? Yeah, he passed away from a heart attack, which weirdly I knew was coming, which was a, a strange part of it. You can't, bless him, he had... Uh, really bad type two diabetes and was drinking seven pints of lager every evening on the way home from work. And you can't carry on like, I mean, he doesn't take a scientist to figure out if you carry on like that. And he'd always make a joke of, oh, well, I went to the doctors and they said that I'm fine. And, no. oh, well, I've never had anything go wrong. And it was more, I remember having a conversation with him two weeks before he went, I was like, I can't carry on like this, man. I was like, you're going to get a heart attack and it's either going to be a wake up call or the thing that's going to kill you. And it turned out two weeks later, he did have a heart attack and it just happened to kill him. So dealing with that, weirdly, everyone goes, everybody has different ways of dealing with that. And it depends on so many thousands of factors. Do you even like your parent is the, the first thing. How much time <laughs> have you spent with your parent? What, what is your core beliefs about them? But if, like I'd say 50% of us are, because I've met a lot of people in a lot of different situations, 
I loved my dad. I had a fantastic relationship with him. Um, we argued a lot about work, but aside from that fantastic relationship, but to deal with it, he taught me and I dealing with my dad's death was actually listening to my dad. So, because I knew what he would say, even up to this point, there's so many things I just know he's like, still with me because I, I know what he'd say about different things. And when he died, even though he couldn't say it to me physically, what I heard was just make sure your mum's all right. Forget about yourself. Just make sure your mum's all right. If she's with everybody, get into work, make sure everybody else is all right. And just basically just think about everybody else. That was, that was the advice that basically he would have given to me. I know it. And just like toughen up and crack on. I'm not here now. That's the reality of it. This is your next stage of life. Go. And genuinely, the day happened, the 28th of July, the 29th of July, I just spent at home taking in what had happened and just figuring out what to do, what was my next steps. And on the thir- 30th or the 1st, I don't know how many days there are in July, um, I was back in, I was literally back in work, back in the office, making sure everybody else was okay. And there were the, what was weird, really weird about that, looking back on it and at the moment is, and I did question this when I come home at night, there was people more upset than I was. So that there was girls in the office that were sales admin that at the time, at that moment, a few days after, were in who who my dad had had a fantastic relationship with 80% of his staff, I'd say. Absolutely phenomenal. And it wasn't like a normal company. And there was people way more affected, even hard-nosed blokes that worked for him that were way more affected than I was. Yeah. And that was weird because I did start to come home and question, you know, why am I not being affected like this? But it did hit me a year later, uh, maybe even six months later. And I think it was just because I entered a mindset. I parked it. I think I, I took it, parked it, because I knew that if I, if I made a thing of it, I wouldn't be able to get through what I knew was coming, which was suddenly ownership of a, an enormous company, mm-hmm. still running, paving direct, looking after my mum, making sure everything is dealt with. I wouldn't be able to deal with that if I was grieving. So I just had no, to park yeah. it. And it, I do remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks between six months and a year, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was a similar experience. Um, but in terms of you saying that uh, you, you found that other people were more upset than you, I do have an explanation for that. Um, and it's because it was a trauma response. So when we're faced with things that are challenging, um, we can have a trauma response, which is fight or flight. Okay. And fight, which I believe is what you did. You know, you didn't walk away. Uh, flight, usually people go within themselves and, you know, really sort of withdraw from the situation. Whereas you sort of like went into the situation and basically what your brain does is that it goes into like, um, protective mode. And when you were questioning, like, why am I not feeling X, Y, and Z? because your brain was actually essentially protecting itself. Probably. And after that six month, 12 month mark, like between in that time period, that's when your body's sort of like, right, okay, I'm, I'm safe. And then it slowly takes you out of that trauma response. And uh, you'll often find that you'll have all the support at the beginning. This is what I found. Everyone's there asking how you are up to the funeral. And then after the funeral, people just sort of like disappear. Yeah, um, no, hundred percent. That that definitely happened. And you're sort of like when it does hit you, you're just looking around, and it's like 
you're in this barren wasteland and no one's there. Because when you, everyone sort of like, I don't know, pushes themselves in. I think for me, well, this is really, and I don't want to speak ill of people either, because I think I'd have been exactly the same because it's hard. You sometimes don't want to as friends and everything else. My friends and my fiance were absolutely phenomenal through that period. But I was dealing with the sale of a company around the same time the funeral happened. And I don't think that there's certain people that were so frightened of saying something that would change the outcome of what I was going through that they just wanted to leave. I was like a grenade. They just wanted to leave me alone so that they weren't the cause of the grenade going off. Yeah. I I definitely had that kind of feeling because people that I expected, and this isn't none of my current friends, by the way, but in in work, people that I would have expected to have helped and been there ran off, definitely ran off. But I think that is because they they were so amazed by the situations, things that happened at work with the, the the board of directors, the shareholders, things that I found out about the reason I was preparing to go to court. There was, there was lots of stuff going on there. And I think for, for your, if I say for your average Joe, for people that haven't been through that, they don't want anything to do with that. That's mm-hmm. a mess. And I think that's kind of why I had a slightly different experience of it. Yeah, definitely. And when you were talking about, you know, the sale of the company and that's, Around the time that you you experienced burnout, essentially when you were talking about, yeah, it can be so many different things or it can be three different things. You've got to think of your actual brain and body as like a jug. And obviously you were talking about three parts. Those three parts can be quite big, but once it, it actually gets to the top and starts overflowing, that's when you do experience burnout. Because we've all got a, a, a level of tolerance. Um, and then once you hit that mark, that's when things and problems do actually start. I do think it's three things as well. Mine was um, too much death, company sale overwhelming and fiance leaving. Those are my three things. And it was, it was at that final one that it just exploded. Yeah. And I was like, you do hit a point where the glass yeah. overflows. At any one point in, in your life though, you probably would have been able to deal with those three separate issues on their own and be able to sort of still function as a human being. But obviously when you overflow, that's when it, you know, goes downhill in terms of after your dad's death, right. Did you experience any sort of mental health struggles? Not really. No anxiety. I did, but for the company, I didn't trust anybody. I just, okay. I just didn't trust anybody whatsoever other than my then missus, um, mother and dogs. Okay. I just didn't trust anybody, but I don't think that was caused by a death. I think that was caused by me very quickly realizing that things that I thought would be the case weren't. And that was due to people's selfish actions in, in a workplace and, and personal gain. And I think that was, that was within a week I'd learned that. and. That's then when things like I was very anxious for the business sale because some sales go smoothly, some don't. Because one day you're here thinking that okay, it's just going to go through now, and it's really strange. I didn't actually want it to go through. Part of me, I want, I did, I, I didn't want to be selling the company. I kind of had to the situation that I was in. But then there's an element of me just finally wanting it to go through to, to make yeah. it over to get rid of it. Um, dealing 
my dad had died, but then I went to tell my, uh, his mum, my nan that he died and my nan then died two weeks later. Oh, that's hard. And after that, a, a fisherman really well known in the world of fishing Ian McMillan that I grew up with as a kid. So it didn't hit me hugely hard because I wasn't really close to Ian, but I spent a lot of time with him when I was younger. He passed away. And even, even something like that on the kind of outside of your circle, you're just like, Christ, there's another one. But who's next? Like, uh, and after that, there was a guy that worked for us at work. Pro- and I, I say this and on my heart, was probably one of the nicest people that I've ever met in that company. So polite. The only person that ever called me by the f- name Benedict every single time. And, and he passed away from cancer. And his funeral, I'd say, was harder than my dad's funeral because I had to watch his kids walk down the aisle with his coffin. And that, 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 really, that, that really screwed me up, that. Yeah. That really screwed me up. And, it was, and then that also makes you wonder, that makes you wonder questions like, why did I feel more ex- upset at that funeral than I did at my dad's funeral? But I, I just think it was circumstance and, and trying to be raised to care about others. And I just couldn't comprehend. Pain. I couldn't comprehend what that family were going through because I knew it must have been beyond what I had, and that's why I couldn't. I couldn't comprehend what was happening there. But luckily, after that, there there was a there was an actual period of rest in life before chaos again. Um, so yeah, twenty twenty one was shit. Like <laughs> there was no there was no getting around it. Like twenty 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 one. And uh, let's be honest. That's without even bringing the word that I don't want to really talk about for long, but COVID into it and, uh, and everything else that caused crap. That's without all of that that was going on. So, yeah. Did your dad, your dad died during the pandemic then? Yeah. Well, July, so it was coming out of it, weren't we? It was all sort of, no one knew what was going on. Yeah, well, it was a two-year period, wasn't it? To be honest, we didn't really, we didn't really take, I say didn't take much notice of the pandemic. We did, but in a different way to what others did. The pandemic caused a lot of people to have a lot of time. The pandemic caused us to not have a lot of time because our business business. exploded because of the pandemic. So he was dealing with running a business during it. So that, I would say, was was the key difference there. Yeah. The pandemic definitely did do a lot to everyone it wasn't just one generation it changed people and that period of time changed me i've i've become a totally different human being since 2022 i would say to where i am now in 2022 i'm almost unrecognizable i'd say to my past self i mean you're still ginger but (laughs) you talk very highly of your mom and you you always talk very highly of your mom um would you say that you have a really close relationship with her? You know what? Explain the relationship that you have with your mum. I'm now way closer to my mum after my dad dying because I, I just naturally was closer with my dad because we were within 100 metres of each other usually at work. You know, his office was over in that part of the site. Mine was over there mm-hmm. and he'd come in and always be around. So you just naturally get closer to that parent and that part of your life. Now my dad isn't around. I'm naturally much closer to my mum and understanding a lot of things that my dad used to say about my mum. And you go, oh yeah, right. Yeah. Like she's a one woman army. She's this, she's <laughs> that. Actually, uh, like Christ, that's, that's mega impressive that, like what you've just done there. or uh, And just appreciating how much she's uh, there for me now in my life really. And more, I've uh, 2023 has been uh, a period of reflection on enjoying stuff a little bit. And I've enjoyed a lot of stuff with my mum. I think there's stuff, I think this is a bit of advice, I'd say, for anybody that's currently going through trauma 
with a parent dying and wondering what life may look like as a little bit of a, a, a going forward without that person. To be honest, the amount of doors that have been opened for me just because my dad died that I wouldn't have normally had different experiences, I'm unbelievably grateful for. You know, me and my mum went to a uh, Russell Howard concert where he chatted about sex for most of it. And we sat there and had the most hilarious time in Oxford. That would have not happened if my dad was still alive. And we loved it. And had an absolute, we were wailing with laughter from the top. And I think that for anybody that is going through that or, or might in the future, always remember that you, life will throw stuff. Like I, when I was in Paving Direct, selling paving slabs to builders and people doing their gardens. All I could see was paving slabs in that business for the rest of the future. And literally within two years, I'm sat in a converted VW crafter van interviewing one of the biggest only fans and porn stars in the UK as a form of marketing for my new business. Like how does that isn't life, me, by the way. How does life do that? How does life do that? I know. I know. Like, yeah, reflection is is insane. And the fact that um, similarly on on my behalf as well, like I, I thought I wouldn't go anywhere without a college education or university, but like being able to do what I do on a daily basis now is just a blessing. Um, but I think it's it tells you more about the person rather than the education. Um, there's been plenty of people who I've worked with who are almost – entitled the fact that they've got a university degree so they feel like they should be there more than you when in actual fact like you can get the job done better because you've got the experience um and that's something that's like really majorly overlooked you talked about working with your dad now i'd say that you work with your mom yeah i mean we're we're talking fishery now yeah mum mum for anyone that doesn't know uh, my mum will be employed to run my fishery on a day-to-day business and deal with the guests that are coming into the holiday lodge and everything else. But I, I actually uh, totally disagree. I keep my mum out of all things to do with business and work as much as I possibly can. Okay. Um, just because her mindset is different to me and my dad. She is the most risk-averse person you'll ever meet. I've done plenty of things. And my mum's comfortable where, where she is in her position, just needs to tick on. She, bless her, gives me... She doesn't ever really question too much what I'm doing um, or or has become a lot more confident in what I'm doing. But if I sit down and actually try and tell her about it, it just creates more fear. So okay, I, don't, okay. I don't, I you know, I just crack on. Yeah, yeah. And the fishery build, how how's it going at the moment? Amazing. I, I'm absolutely thrilled. I mean, how is it that it takes 18 months to get planning permission to dig a hole in the ground and three weeks to dig it? Like that is absolutely incredible. And we're, we're sat here and, you know, hundred meters that way is a half filled up hole that just happens to be one of my micro dreams. So. I mean, we're going for a swim later, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it could just be deep enough at that point to be able to do that. But yeah, the, the fishery build has been uh, amazing. I've obviously documented part of it on the other channel with your help. We'll be documenting many more episodes that are coming up of actually construction um, of it, but I've been surprised that it's been as straightforward sailing as it as it has been. To be fair, but it was it was well planned, it was well budgeted. It's never going to be without the slight error or mistake. Yeah. I kind of built that in. 
made a little mistake to do with the water, but it's not really because it's more of an education for the next one I do and the next one I do. And if they go as smoothly as this one without without that one little error, then it's plain sailing. But yeah, of course, I had to had to start a uh, a fishery. Why not? <laughs> without giving away too many details, because obviously we want people to actually watch the series when it comes out. What is, I'd say, so far, because right now it's near full or half full, three quarters? 65%. 65%, so just over half. Uh, well, two thirds. Yeah. <laughs> just say two thirds. Just getting there. Quick maths. Um, what has been a low point? Of the fishery build? Yeah. It hasn't, honestly. Really? It's been plain sailing. And I, maybe that is because I look at life in a slightly different way now. Because when you've had really, really low points, uh, you know, I don't not talk about it. I, Despite thinking that I was going to be this little rich kid when my dad died a little bit in the back of my head, which was my way of dealing with mm-hmm. you're going to be secure. I really wasn't. And I was in a million pounds of debt that I didn't expect to be there. And had to had to pay that off somehow. And the only way I could do that was go through a wholesale of a business and pay that debt off. Yeah. And I think when you've experienced stress and shit, like as bad as it gets to the point where you pretty much don't want to be here anymore. Mm. You don't, you know, I've, the, what I say, I've changed a lot. One of the biggest things, I don't sweat the small stuff. Like stuff can happen. The lake can stop filling up and there could be a leak and be like, okay, we'll just find the lake. It, it, it doesn't phase me anymore at all. Literally, I've, I've become 90% harder since the end of last year than what I was before. I'm way less emotional, way more strategic thinking. I've, I've, I've lost a filter and I'd have to say, and I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing for the period of life I'm in now. I certainly wouldn't want to keep this attribute forever. I don't really give a fuck a lot about a lot of stuff anymore. I really don't. If someone comes into my life and they cause me a little bit of annoyance or aggravation um, or they're not right. I just cut them, Come, gone, goodbye. I don't, I don't try and fix it. I don't try and, oh, it's really upsetting. Goodbye. Next. I, I don't care anymore. I don't. And I, I deserve, and I know I deserve. I looked after a lot of people in between my father dying and, and yeah. the end. And I don't want to anymore. I want, to, I want to actually do something for me now for the next three years, which is building my brands, my businesses. And there's, I've got the most amazing group of mates, despite the fact they take the piss out of me. And that core group of lads that I've got, I see as my family. Yeah. And nothing would happen to those bonds. I just know, no, it wouldn't. But I say maybe people in outer circles around that. It sounds horrible. I generally couldn't give a shit anymore. Yeah. No, I understand that. Um, it's all about protecting your own energy. And when you've had it zapped from you for so long, it's okay to be selfish, but you've also got to be self-aware when you need to be sensitive towards other people as well, which I do think you are. It's not a dig or anything. Um, and final point before we wrap up, you were a bit of a chunky lad, right? Um, and now you're like, what, a basically practically an athlete? Practically, no, I've put on weight in the last six months. Okay, but you've been a busy boy in the last six months. 
There's no excuse. Okay. We like that mindset. <laughs> There's not. I will quite happily always um, point out when I'm wrong or when I've not done good enough or when I'm falling below my own expectations. And I'd say that on nutrition and health in the last six months, I've not hit my own expectation, which is why I've just done something about it. And I've uh, started again with uh, Dan Foster, who is my nutritionist and uh, PT and started planning again. So I did get all the way from 20 stone down to 12 stone. Uh, I'm now like 14 and a half. Quite like to get back down to 12. Um, okay. Simple as that. So what what is your actual goal when it comes to your body composition? Do you want to be a certain weight? Do you want to look like a bodybuilder? Do you want to, you know, or is it just an overall feeling that you want to feel? An overall feeling that I want to feel. Okay. Uh, I'm not and ha- what is that feeling? I'm not happy with it. I hate, I hate looking at myself in the mirror. I hate being slightly, I'd say slightly chubby now, um, but I just want that physique to get that six pack or the rest of it. But it's, it is tough because I know what has to go into a business world to create something that works and it is 100% focus and effort. And when I go into one of my local gyms that I've trained in for, for years, um, which weirdly, strange, there's a lot of people in there that I, I no longer like or wouldn't want really in my life, but there, there's also some people that I have huge respect for. I may not like individuals anymore, but I see the amount of effort that some Why don't pe- you like them? It's oh, a whole different podcast episode, really. But there, there's, just because, I, this is the same thing for internet personalities okay. or for, for anybody. There's too many people that just slag people off all the time and it really does my head in when they don't know them they've got no idea what sort of day they've had anything yeah just because i make my mind up internally oh, i'm not too fond of somebody or i didn't really like what you did there either. if they're doing something behind that yeah that's like whoa your training's mad like he trains like two and a half times a day and he's chiseled and like shit he's done this olympic lifting competition and won an award like that is absolutely sick don't mean i like him Okay. This means that I've got res- a huge amount of admiration and respect. And I, it also teaches me what went into doing that. And I sort of think, could I do that on top of what I currently do without the glass tipping over? Really tough balance. So this is why I then try and solve the problem. Like I try and solve all the problems and think, how do I solve that problem? So that problem for me was talking to someone that knows more about stuff than I do, like Dan and trying to see like how I can get to where I want to be. Okay. And why do you want to look a certain way? Because I am, this is where this could get a bit juicy. I love and hate Andrew Tate at the same time. Absolutely love and hate Andrew Tate at the same time. I agree with a lot of core things that he says. I don't necessarily think that they all have to be said, but I do tend to agree with a lot of things that he says. I think that he is probably the best speaker I've ever come across and listened to. That man can have a debate with the most experienced, uh, maybe aside from Jordan, Jordan Peterson, but that man can have a debate (laughs) with any high level trained journalist in the world that is out to get him and he will outcome them, outsmart them, out talk them whilst keeping himself to his 
speaking plan of what he wants to say and deliver and, and be honest about. That aside, I think there is the reason that I dislike Tate, the other half of me, and overall do, is the fact that I I'm think... I'm just going to cut it there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that... And I'd love, I'd love to talk to him one day, to be honest, but I know that I also wouldn't because I know I wouldn't be able to out-talk him and get to the point that I want to get to. My okay. point with Tate isn't anything to do with what everybody else comes at him with, misogyny or this or that or whatever. My point is there's so many, there's a general consensus online of, I, I started all these businesses. This is my company over here. My worth is absolutely financially huge. And the bit that doesn't get talked about is, well, how much of that huge wealth is actually made up from the fact that you're telling people that and that there's 450,000 people paying $85 a month to join Hustlers University? What I want to know is as a percentage of Andrew Tate's wealth, what percentage of Hustlers University income makes up his entire life income as a percentage? And I think if that was put out into the world, what the reality of that is, they would stop thinking that someone can go out there really easily and make a full-time living from selling tea candles on Shopify by connecting it into a dropshipping store. And that doesn't mean that I either love Tate or hate him. I just, as a reality, I think, ah, I can like something that he does or says or appreciate the fact that he can talk very, very well. I mean, his last, the BBC interview he did with Lucy, um, can't remember her second name, but it was Lucy recently. He just destroyed her. He just absolutely tore her apart. And I think this comes into the fact that BBC put someone very weak. It destroyed their credibility and already time where they were rocky about things that they'd done. Wrong person. She wasn't tough enough. I actually believe they should have put a, a bloke in there. I do. Because I just don't think that in that environment, he outmasculined her. I think he, uh, he, his masculinity and strength of masculinity strong th- came through and she wasn't able to outmuscle him in that conversation. But she also came at it in the wrong way. But I, may I just add... I haven't seen a male other than potentially Elon Musk or Jordan Peterson that would have also been capable of outdoing Tate in that conversation. So do you not think there's any strong women? No, not at all. But Tate, I think the majority of people that she could have sat down with and interviewed should have absolutely slayed on the face of the world. You know how we have uh, athletes, like there's footballers, and you've got really, really, really good footballers that are, that are remembered and do really well. Um, Jordan Henderson at Liverpool, brilliant example. Camp, captain he's not at Henderson. But he's, no, he's not just at moved. Liverpool. He's moved. He's moved abroad. But for years, he had been Liverpool's captain. But then your mind goes to Messi, Ronaldo, the top two in Formula One. There's some brilliant drivers. There's Charles Leclerc. There's Lando. And then your mind goes to Lewis Hamilton, Senna, Max Verstappen. In terms of people that can sit on a microphone, have a conversation, and they just have the ability to win that conversation or, or, or up themselves, there is absolutely nobody that I've seen on this world that could beat Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate. I mean, I'd argue against that. There's a lot of strong females out there. Put one in front of Tate. Oprah. 
Michelle Obama. I think they would struggle. I don't think they would. Michelle Obama was the first lady of the United States. The Tate battle, This and this is what's also good about it because it creates... Put Liz, put Liz Trust in, in front of her. Liz Trust. Go on. <laughs> she, 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 only, she reminds me of the woman that did the interview on the BBC, to be honest with you, in front of him. But... No, this is this isn't a, again. It's not a slagging off match. It is. I am fascinated, Andrew, with what percentage of your net worth is made up via telling people you have all these businesses yeah. and all the backgrounds. How much of it is Hustlers University's income? That's all I want to know, and that's what I'd be really interested to find out. And it's just a simple percentage question: How much of that income is made up from that? Because what you're selling is the view of. Anybody can go and set up a dropshipping business and connect it to AliExpress on Hustlers University and go and earn an income, income full-time. My mind's actually been opened recently to that as well because I've actually met a couple of people that have genuinely done it and have genuinely created small businesses where they're making a little bit of money. So, so a dropshipping site? Yeah. Because you were against it for such a long time. It was like, oh, these dropshippers. No, I'm against the premise that they the people that are selling the courses out there of come and join my 300 quid a month or $80 a month university or everything else. They make it seem so goddamn easy and that it's destroyed lives of people out there by getting too involved with it. And it's not talked about enough. Like Forex traders, yeah. for example. You know. they, they destroy their own credibility. And there is the, we're, at, we're at a peak at the minute, in my view, that the credibility of people that sell online dropshipping courses is above Forex and all the rest of it. Right. Or at a peak where that is about to absolutely slam as well. Well, it, obviously there's there's problems with dropshipping. Um, a lot of uh, original dropshippers that I know and have worked with in the past are almost, uh, they're transitioning into something called digital dropshipping where it's digital products rather than physical products. Because obviously there was so many problems. COVID hit. Post wasn't, you know, mail wasn't going from China. People weren't receiving their orders and it was lost. So all of these businesses lost a lot of money. Um, and so going into, you know, bringing people on board in and selling a course, selling your knowledge. I understand why people do that. I wouldn't necessarily say I understand why uh, Forex traders do it because it is it's skill being able to obviously read charts. Forex traders do make a lot of money when you sign up. No one thinks they do anymore though. I don't think. I don't think. Maybe that's just my view of it. But I get, I get, uh, back in the day, six, seven years ago, if someone slid into your DMs and said that they could make you a load of money from being on an online website and all the rest of it, oh, what's this? You'd yeah. be interested. Now you have people that have bought 500,000 followers and a blue tick somehow and they slide into your DMs. The second said, delete, delete. And one of those could be genuine. But there's no credibility there anymore. And again, this is when I bring it back to Hustlers University, because I think if that fell and it was determined that the only reason that, that the whole of that team and Andrew had made any money in their lives at all, or the, the bulk of it, and I'm talking 95% here, was because of selling an online course based off telling people that they had dropshipping business that was, is, that was selling millions and millions and millions yeah. of pounds worth of goods. I think if that fell and was proved to be wrong, boom, the whole online landscape changed. Um, there's a YouTuber called uh, Ali Abdal. Uh, he 
uploaded consistently, was a junior doctor, moved into full-time YouTuber, productivity guru, et cetera, et cetera. He opened a YouTube course on how to become a YouTuber. Um, and it was like a YouTuber academy sort of thing. And people would sign up for a few hundred dollars or whatever to go through this cohort. And he actually releases his earnings every month. So how much he gets from AdSense, how much he gets from sponsors, how much he makes from his course and his course outshadows every other income. Every Let's income. Let's see Tate. Come on Tate, get it out. And this isn't me having a, a dig by the way, Andrew, because Jesus, how clever. How flipping clever. One of the great He's biggest. He's going to turn up with his uh, Bugatti. Well, all I want to know, like... all I want to know is yeah, and f- sick, awesome, legend. And I don't disagree with a lot of the stuff he said. I think I sometimes I think, oh, mate, did you really help yourself out there? But but on the whole, very clever business, very very self centered business. Yes, there's people that would have succeeded in there, and that would have led them onto the right place they needed yeah. to be. I just would like to see. I'm so irritated at the minute in the online space that we have that there's, and it's not going to be helped with AI. How much? fake Donald Trump was obviously the first person to say fake news really but it's just it's just it's just all crap it's just all bollocks and I I hope I hope that real podcasts Mm -hmm. where you can know that they're real people shine through in the next wave which is one of the reasons that I've started mine because it's actual real people talking about real stuff and as I say if I think someone comes on is absolute chatting rubbish and lies and it's just not true I just won't put the episode out I'm not I'm not I'm not putting that out to to people um to watch something that I believe is is incorrect and is going to negatively impact their life, and that is what I believe is going them on as well. Mislead. That is what I believe is going on with what I'm talking about with Hustlers University. Before people are people being misled. Go, before people absolutely go crazy because they're a Tate Army supporter. I mean, I'm not saying I I like him, and I'm not saying I dislike him either. I I look at everything that's in front of me and can like some of it, dislike some of it a lot, and then question some of it. Mm-hmm. And that that's where I'm at with that. Okay. Um, moving into the last part of the podcast now. Um, where can people buy our course on how to become a podcaster? I don't want to because I actually think that we're Zero in a, a to brilliant. A million. Yeah, no, I don't think that will happen, to be honest, because everybody's always these days online trying to sell a course of how they did something five years ago. Nobody wanted to release all the, all the old school business people I've met don't want to tell anybody how they did exactly. anything. Exactly. And, and I, think- I don't want to tell anybody a lot of the time when I get people sniffing around who's working for your podcast, who's producing what, how do you do those trailers? How have you grown so quickly? How have you managed to do that or get that guest? I don't really want to tell them if I'm honest, because they're a competitor. I want this podcast to be the biggest podcast in the UK. That is my goal with it. I do want to outperform. Mr. Bartler, I do want to outperform Chris Williamson. I huge respect. Uh-huh. If I don't set that as the end goal, I'll never get to the goal where I get close to them. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I'll, I, and if I set a goal of being nearly as good as those guys, then I'll only maybe potentially get close to that goal. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, our main target each week is just to have that 1% improvement because it ultimately, if you sit down and nitpick and go for perfectionism, you're not going to get the consistency uh, because obviously you get held back by perfectionism. And I think out of, I want to say 12 recorded episodes or 13 recorded episodes, 
10 are out there still available to watch. And I maybe have removed the first two because of how slaughtered I was as a poor podcast host. Um, and I didn't want those out there anymore. I actually wanted to do the guests justice and re-record those at some yeah. time, having a proper conversation. And then one of them we've decided not to put out based on the episode and the conversation and not feeling that it was right for the the channel. But Exactly. Mm. I think being able to have that filter when it comes to content rather than aiming for it to be perfect. Yeah. Um, there's a real fine line between it. Um, and obviously looking for the 1% each week that is how you get closer to your goal. Uh, so yeah, I think we're going to wrap up here, Ben. Thank you very much for coming on my podcast. It's not your podcast. <laughs> well, it's Rod's Success Official Podcast, Ben Fowler. You're well. Thank you. You've been a good host. Yeah, you're welcome. Now, handshake. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.